Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 14, titled, A Call to Follow. Hello, good morning. Welcome. We're in the book of Luke, chapter 14. Find your way. Over there, working our way through the book of Luke. Been in it a couple of, couple of three years. Pushing, pushing through. Actually, early parts of Luke, we really had to uh, well, not that we aren't taking it verse by verse, but there's now we're in a part of Luke where there's uh, large sections are summed up under a term parable, and these parables typically are presenting one message. So we're able to make big leaps and bounds, uh, at least at this point. We get to the place of his crucifixion and places like that. We're going to be taking a lot slower uh, pace, so that we just take the pace, whatever the Scripture gives us. Uh, Luke chapter 14, we're going to be down in verse 26, one of the hardest sayings, hard sayings of Christ. We don't avoid those. Uh, we take them because we believe all the Word of God is supposed to be for all the people of God. We don't pick the ones we like. Uh, we don't go through the ones that make us feel good. If all we do is ever feel good and God says we shouldn't be feeling good considering what the circumstances are, you're in a bad place. Uh, nothing wrong uh, with reality except if you're not in it. Uh, and that's part of not being in reality is just to pick and choose and make a quilt out of the Scriptures, you know, where you cut out the middle parts and sew some, some ends together and somehow make it into something that you want it to be. Again, we call it the Word of God because how would you like it if I wrote a letter or if you wrote a letter and I just chopped out the parts I didn't like and read it to everybody and saying that's what she said? You wouldn't appreciate that. So neither should you take any of the Scriptures out. The parts you don't like, just if it runs right over you, hits you over the top of the head, deal with it. Let it be what it is. Our goal should always be where our lives intersect the Scriptures and our lives disagree with the Scriptures, we will change, not change the Scriptures. You understand you're changing the Scriptures when you don't do what it says? Then you say, well, that's not the, it's not authoritative. Oh, really? Well, you're going to find out a hard way that it is. And let's consider these hard, hard words of Christ. Verse 26, verse 25, Now a great multitude were gathered, going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, the follower, to come to Christ, to follow him, to be a disciple, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife. I told you this was a hard saying, didn't I? And children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How many of you here would consider yourself to be a disciple of Christ? Follower of Christ, it means the same thing. So, you understand, if your definition of following Jesus and Jesus' definition differ, that you're not a follower of Christ. Can we agree with that? So you don't get to, we don't get to make our definition of what is a follower of Christ. Jesus makes that definition. Some hard sayings, and we're going to consider those hard sayings. Whoever does not carry, he goes on verse 27, his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We call ourselves disciples, but would Jesus call you a disciple? That's the big question. And he goes on to what the, the cost that we need to count when we're considering being a follower of Jesus. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost and see if he's had enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, he's not able to finish it. All who observe it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build, not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel? whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else while he's on his way, still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Because like I said, 20 and 10 doesn't add up very well. 
So therefore, here's the battle. He's talking about a battle between kings. So here's the real battle. Real battle is our stuff. Real battle is our hearts. Therefore, no one of you will be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Hard words to Jesus, right? You can quit your mom and dad, your wife and children, but don't mess with my stuff, huh? Well, let's hear what Jesus has to say. We're going to be considering these hard words of Christ. Uh, what a statement. Do you suppose he believes it? Well, I would remind you, this is none other than the incarnate God himself speaking. It's not somebody's opinion. It's the sovereign of the universe telling you how it works and does not work. It's not for us to sit back and say, well, that's a good, that's a good idea. No, this is the only idea. This is the judge of the living and the dead to whom we'll stand before and answer. So when he says this is how it is, that's how it is. Don't change God's word. Let it be what it is. Now, you don't have to like it. I don't see where it says we have to like it. But you do have to do it if you're going to call yourself a follower. I'm committed to Christ, but then you're not doing what he says. You call him king and lord and then do not do what he says. How does that? That's hypocrisy, the definition of it. Jesus isn't offering, as we'll notice here, a makeover. That's not discipleship. Discipleship, very clearly, is a takeover. It's a takeover. You stop living your life the way you want to, and you start living it the way Jesus wants to. It's, it's actually very simple, very hard to do, very simply said. This is now our second time, if you've been with us now for, like I said, three years, uh, studying the book of Luke you know that this isn't the first time we've encountered Jesus' definition of discipleship and how it differs with our own definitions. Luke 9.23 is similar, similar, uh, similar hard statement. He, who does, he said to them all, in the same case, he turned to the crowd as he did here, anyone who desires to come after me, that's a follower, right? Do you call yourself a follower of Jesus? Are you doing this? Let him deny himself? Are you doing that? You're not a follower of Christ if you don't. Take up his cross. That wasn't a burden, by the way. We like to, we define it, we redefine it that way because we're, you know, 21st century people and we think a cross is some kind of weight. I'm telling you, it wasn't the problem. Some kind of splinter issue. No, the person that was carrying a cross was carrying a wooden beam to a place where they were going to kill him on it. It wasn't the weight of that that mattered. It was what were they going to do when he got to the destination on that wood that mattered. So it, it, Jesus is very clearly saying to them, you've got to deny yourself, die to yourself, and then follow me. And, and hear me, if you're not doing that, you're not a follower of Jesus. Well, I always thought I was. Well, sorry. No sense in lying to you. Straight up, Jesus' own definitions. So again, like I said, we have to deal with it. We saw that Jesus gets to define what discipleship is, and we do not. Like I said, we went over this. We had a sermon series back about a year and a half ago on discipleship in Luke 23, 9, 23, and I would recommend you to that, uh, our website and where we have uh, a lot of that. We spent about nine weeks on this whole issue. We're only going to spend one Sunday together. But, uh, so I'm going to con congeal nine weeks into one week. So, you, you know, I don't know what kind of dinner plans you have, but we're going to be... <laughs> no. We like to flatter ourselves, don't we? I'm a disciple of Christ. Really? According to Jesus' definition? Could it be that you're just flattering yourself? Could it be that we are? Calling ourselves followers of Christ when in fact by Jesus' definition we are definitely not? And what does it mean to be Jesus' follower? What does it mean, uh, what does it take? We, we, we honestly want to ask these questions? Well, here's Jesus' answer. He says, if you want to be my follower, you've got to die, deny yourself, die to yourself, 
deny your dreams, you think about it. So I can't follow Jesus' dreams in my life and follow my dreams at the same time. I've got to die, deny one or the other. Which one are you denying today? Because if you're not denying your own dreams, you are denying Jesus'. If you're not denying your own goals and aspirations and ambitions, you are denying Christ's goals and dreams and aspirations for your life. It is one or it is the other. Don't fool yourself. You're either following Jesus or you are not. We saw that to follow Jesus, we saw this last time, or weeks ago, months ago, years ago, <laughs> means, does not mean, it cannot in any way mean self-fulfillment. It means self-denial. We somehow think Jesus will let you add him to your life. He will not let you add him to your life. Jesus isn't a spare tire. He's everything. He's king. He's sovereign. He's, when you come to Christ, he's adding you to his life. You had no life. You have no life to offer him. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. What life do you have to give to him? He's given you life. If you already had life, then why did you get saved to, be, to begin with? No, he brings you life. He's the Savior. You're being rescued. You're the one drowning in sin. He doesn't, you don't add Jesus to your inner tube out there in the middle of the ocean. He's adding you to his lifeboat. You either get in or you don't. One or the other. To follow Jesus does not mean self-fulfillment. It means self-denial. Either you're following Jesus or you're not. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it uh, very plainly. Salvation is free. Discipleship will cost you your life. Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you a follower of Christ? And not Like I said, we talked to the kids. Not like following Jesus on Facebook. Jesus' feed comes up, or Twitter. All Jesus is saying today is such and such. Yeah, but are you doing what he says? Not a matter of I read his stuff, and I, you know, the nod to God kind of attitude. Yeah, that's the right way. Somebody ought to do that. Not me. You're not a follower, if that's who you are. It's not following Jesus on Twitter. It's following Jesus literally, physically, in every way. So Jesus makes these extreme measures extreme measures of what it requires to be a follower of Christ, as he says here, hating your family. We're going to get to that. Denying yourself, carrying your cross, giving up all your possessions. These are extreme positions, are they not? That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is an extreme commitment. It's not a happenstance. I put Jesus, you know, i given him prominence in my life. Jesus is not asking for prominence. He's asking for, he's demanding preeminence. He's got a right. To demand it. So following Jesus requires you, you put Jesus as priority. Let's consider what it says here in verse 26. So if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, what a statement. Seems contrary, doesn't it? Seems confusing. Because isn't it true that the Bible teaches that we are supposed to love everybody? I mean, what are we supposed to do? We come to Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, I need to write everybody a letter and say, I hate all you people because Jesus told me to. Or just out, all of you, you're on my hate list. Is that what he's saying? Of course not. So what is he saying? I mean, isn't it true, as Jesus said, that they will know that we're his followers by the love that we have? So is Jesus counter-commanding himself? Remember what I've taught you, and some of the people are, are new to our church, but what we've learned together is 
when there is a contradiction in the scriptures, the contradiction is only put your, hold your fingers like this, put them into your ears. The contradiction is between your fingers. It's not anywhere else. There's not a contradiction in the scriptures. A lot of people that say there's contradiction in the scriptures, but I've not found one yet. Not, not when you actually research it and look into it. This is another one of those places. Does it seem contradictory? Absolutely. Seems totally counterintuitive. I mean, hate your parents when it says in the Scriptures, one of the Ten Commandments, for crying out loud, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land. Isn't, isn't part of honoring, loving them? And hate your wife, isn't it true? Husbands, love your wives as the example that we have is Christ, isn't it? As Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, is Jesus counter Commanding, I mean, love your children, of course, it teaches that. Even love your enemies, didn't Jesus teach those things? What is this saying? Well, it's saying something that you and I as Western people in the 21st century do not understand. That's what it's saying. Again, the contradiction is between our ears. It's not actually in the text. There was no contradiction between these people, the disciples following Christ, the people that Jesus was talking to who had been hearing preach for three years, no contradiction whatsoever in their hearing of Jesus. There's a contradiction in we're, the way we're hearing them, only because we're separated by 21 centuries and we live in a Western culture. So let me help you understand that. What that just simply means is this. They had what was called Hebraisms. They had certain ways they would say things that didn't mean the same thing as it sounded. Today in our culture, if some of you are gray-headed like me, and so you only know this by proxy, but if you have kids in your life and grandkids in your life, kids today will say something was sick. That was sick. Now, when I was growing up, something that was sick was like nasty or odd or bad. But if some of our youth say, oh, that was sick, what does that mean? That's a good thing. That's an ism. That's a colloquialism of our culture. We understand, even though the word actually literally applied means something is sick or bad. When we say, when a kid or a young person or today an adult says, hey, that was really sick, it was actually a good thing. Isn't that true? That's an ism. Every language has them. Hebrews also. Jesus was a Hebrew. He's a Hebrew speaking to Hebrews. They would have heard something very different than you and I hear when we hear these, when he's particularly referring to these words of love and hate. They had a way of using, referring to the words love and hate in a way differently than we understand it. They had actually two ways. They would use it in the classic sense of hate. I hate him. I hate that. And that was it's very clear in the scriptures. By the way, God's very much against that. Notice 1 John 3.15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. You don't have to shoot him, stab him, push him off a bridge to be a murderer. You just have to hate him in your heart. Because why? Because not until you hate in your heart do you do something violent like that. If you love him, you won't do that. You don't kill somebody you love. You have to hate, right? Hate comes first, then comes the act. Right? Jesus considers you'd already have blood on your hands when you hate. You hate your brother as a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Call it a question your whole salvation if you hate. So, so why would Jesus tell us to hate if he's totally against it, which he very much is? Because, like I said, they use this word in two different ways. There was a hate that is the classic hate, as we would understand it. And there was also a hate, which is what the word, way Jesus is using it here, that referred to preference or rank. Again, it's an ism. It's like saying something sick when in fact you really liked it. They would say the same thing. They would say, oh, I, they're, they're, I prefer, we, would, it, we would hear it in our ears, I prefer this person 
or that thing over this person or this thing. It's a preference. It's a rank. Again, it is confusing. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying it's not, neither Jesus nor any of his original hearers would have ever taken it the way we take it. So I've got to hate my parents when you told me to love my parents. No, he's saying you have to prefer me over them. Jesus is asking, or not, I shouldn't say that, asking. He doesn't ask. He's demanding, commanding preference in your life over any other relationship. Jesus has to be priority, or you are not his follower. So you call yourself a follower, but somebody else or other people actually have priority for you, well then, let me tell you, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're their follower, because actually you do what they want you to do as opposed to what Jesus wants you to do. And Jesus says, not father, not mother, not wife, not kids, not even your own life, has preference. Ranks first. If you want to be my follower, I have to rank first. It makes total sense to me. I understand that. How, how can he ask that? Again, here's, here's, a word, here's the, the word used a similar way in the Old Testament. Again, it's a Hebraism. But it's a way that they would have said things and they would have understood. Here's God speaking to Israel as opposed to, at, with reference to Jacob, Jacob the father of the Jews, and Esau the father of Edom. Notice what it says here. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have, I loved, have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? The answer is yes. Says the Lord, yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. If you read the Bible, there was no hate. Not in the way you understand it. Again, it's a Hebraism. Esau, he blessed. He gave him land. He, gave, he made him prosperous. He made his people and his descendants prosperous. There's still a land over there. We're going to go see it here in a couple of weeks, getting to go to Israel. Yay, I'll send y'all pictures. Don't worry. We're going to see the land of Esau. We're going to see all that. God didn't hate in the classic sense Esau, but he did prefer Jacob over him. He very much did. There was a rank among these two brothers. One was first. And one was second. And God put Jacob over Esau. He preferred him. He ranked him first. And you say, well, that's not really fair. Well, let me tell you something. I know something about you. None of us have the capacity to have anybody other than one person first at a time. Can't have two. Oh, they're both first place in my heart. That's not true. You like one over the other one. You just do. I'm not saying, oh, you love them the same, right? They're your kids. I don't know. We're talking about kids. Uh, talk about, I don't know, friends or whatever. But there's one of them that you would prefer to be with over the other one. Am I not right? Jesus says this is true. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love. There's all, this is, again, Hebraism. You can only have one first place. You can't have two first. There's a first, and then there's going to be a second. There's nothing you can do about it. It's just the way we are. We're not built to have two first places, two second places. That's crazy. You have a first, you have a second, you have a third. There's no way to have two in the same spot. That's impossible. It's all about preference. He says you should prefer, if you want to be my follower, me over any other relationship. And if you do not, then you're not my follower. Someone else, something else, has say in your life. If that is true, if it's not God, then you are not a follower of Jesus. Again, it's a simple definition, 
It may, it's easy to say, not necessarily easy to do. Here, here he is clarifying the whole preference issue in a different way of saying it. He who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He's got a right to say that. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. No, you're not. No, you're not, and you're not a follower of Jesus. Don't, don't quit fooling yourself that you are. Not, it's not, I'm, not a man, I'm not calling into question your Christianity or whether you're going to heaven or not. But I am calling into question, or actually Jesus does, that you're a follower of his. Because we all claim to be followers of Jesus, right? I had a room, you know, if we had 3,000 people here on a Sunday morning. How many followers of Jesus do I have here? Well, it's kind of like, well, we're in church. It's not like we're, you know, following Muhammad or anything. We're following Jesus. Well, according to your definition, our definition. But what about Jesus' de- de- definition? Hear, hear me carefully on this. Jesus will not permit you to love him less than anyone else. He just won't. He will not permit you. I mean, yeah, you can do it. He's not going to, like a lightning bolt, hit you over the head or anything, but he won't let you call yourself a follower of Christ. You just won't. And the privileges of being a follower will not be yours. God claims priority in your life, and if you do not give that to him, you are not a disciple. What is the greatest commandment? You know it, right? Here's one of the places. Love the Lord your God with most of your heart, with a good, generous portion of your soul, right? Is that what it says? And with 90% of your mind, is that what it says? So, so, so hear me on this. If God is just prominent and not preeminent, you're not obeying the greatest commandment in the whole Bible. You think you're a follower of Christ. You're not. So, so how could following Jesus be anything less than be obedient to the greatest commandment? It doesn't make sense. It makes sense that he would say, you can't be a follower of mine if I'm not preeminent. If I'm not preeminent, if I'm not chosen over every other relationship, every other thing, then you're not a follower of mine. He's the sovereign of the universe. He has a right to be adored and worshipped and served and obeyed. Amen? Amen. So it's not at all that we hate our family in a classic sense of hate. It's just that we prefer, we rank the Lord higher. We rank the Lord higher than our relationship with our husband, our relationship with our wife, our relationship with our kids our relationship with our parents, our relationship with our friends. The Lord ranks higher. What does that mean? When what he says disagrees with what they want me to do, I go with Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Because if he tells you to do something, but you do what someone else says, you're not following Jesus. You're following them. Again, we just need to stop fooling ourselves. Don't call yourself a follower of Jesus if you're not following Jesus. When what the Lord says and wants to do comes in conflict with what my family or husband or wife or children wants to do, I choose the Lord. One of my criterion in getting married, finding a wife, was that I wanted someone who loved the Lord more than me. I found that. 33 years. She had the same priority. We have existed with that same priority for the past 33 years. It's been awesome. Especially since the kids left. It's been awesome. It's been really good. Because the priority is Christ. We serve Him. And there's no disagreement. We're not unequally yoked in that because she has the same priority. She loves Jesus ahead of me. I wouldn't want him to go the way. 
I love Jesus ahead of her. That's the way it's supposed to work. Jesus is calling you to forsake and turn away from all other things that would have preeminence in your life. He deserves that place. Not only is he asking you to turn away from relationships, he's also asking you to turn away from yourself, the person you love the most, right? We saw that back in verse 26, but here it says again in John 12, even more clearly, he who loves his life will lose it. Don't do that. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So I'm supposed to just hate myself, right? I hate my, again, this is a Hebraism. It's not talking about, I hate myself because Jesus told me to. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you prefer him over anything you would do with yourself. Any ambition, any goal, any priority. It's great to have all those things, but if Jesus contradicts, you go with Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to have him as Lord. If you're, like I said, if you call him Lord but don't do what he says, no, he's not your Lord. He's not your king. I would love to do this or that, but Jesus wants me to do this. Well, then that's what you do. Again, it, it has to agree with Jesus' definition. He said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, he denies himself. You deny your ambitions, your goals, your priorities, your, 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 whatever you would make of your life. You deny that and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm all about what you're going to make out of my life. That's following Jesus. That's having him as Lord. And not only do you deny him or deny yourself, you also deny your stuff down in verse 33. So therefore no one can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. And tithe is not even in the question there. We're all about worried about the tithe. How about all of it? I'm not talking about 10%. We're talking about 100% belongs to him. And it does, doesn't it? Again, if you think any other way, you're just fooling yourself. It's all his anyway. Take it all back, couldn't he, today? I mean, either you're going to leave it or it's going to leave you. It's not your stuff. So, so in your mind and your heart, this stuff needs to be completely his. Now, he can actually have you cash it all in. Is that what it means? No. It can mean that. But again, he gets to be Lord over it. So he decides. I was uh, married, we're married at 21, 22 years old and went to seminary. Our pastor, when we got married, uh, told us you know, one of the great rules that he had for us, don't spend 50 bucks without talking to each other. Well, we didn't have 50 bucks. <laughs> we didn't have, it was a pretty easy rule to keep because, man, 50 bucks was like you know, buying a house for us. 50 bucks was way more than we ever had. So, so going into ministry and uh, committing ourselves to follow the Lord and serving Him, there was, some, there was, of course, sacrifice, and there was, of course, commitment. But, but, and I, we thought, I thought it was a big deal until I went to seminary. I went to seminary in Fort Worth, and I went to school with guys and gals who had given up way more. Lucrative businesses, CEOs, CFOs, uh, uh, wealthy people, powerful people. Employees coming out their ears left it all to do what I was about to do. And I thought I was leaving a lot. I was, you know, have to discuss 50 bucks with my wife. That's a real trial. Yeah. These guys and gals were given all of it to go and sweep a dirt floor in Africa for the rest of their life. That's following Jesus. Jesus has got a right. Now, he could have left them here. Nothing changed for me. I stayed, I've been in Texas ever since. I mean, I. That's a huge blessing, and be able to be near my family, be able to serve in an area of, of culture that I'm, that I'm used to. It's a huge blessing. I don't take it for granted. Uh, but I, in, a, in a sense, I had to give up a lot of things, but I know some people give up way more. Way more, because why? Because that's what Jesus wanted them to do. 
Again, it's a simple answer. You do what Jesus tells you to do. He's Lord. He's Lord. And when you follow him, he calls the shots. He's priority. He's first. That's what it looks like. Instead of preferring Jesus and giving him preeminence, we prefer, I call it the genie Jesus. He doesn't exist. But we, we, we create him. He lives in a bottle in our minds, and we rub that bottle, and he comes out and does whatever we want him to do. Which, not the least of which, is that he agrees with the decisions we've already made. He just comes to pat us on the back and give us encouragement, you know, and make sure we have more money in our bank account and whatever else these crazy preachers on television are, are telling us. Uh, he, he just comes to help us. He just comes alongside us just to make us feel better. But we get to be Lord, you see. He comes out of the bottle and we tell him what to do. Here's my three wishes. That Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, does not exist. The Jesus of the Bible is the Lord. If anybody's in the bottle, it's you. Yes, Lord. Whatever you wish, Lord. But hear me carefully. Jesus will not be your co-pilot. He's either flying it or he's not. He will not be... He will not sit in the back seat. He will not be co-regent. There's only one throne in your life, and he demands to be on it. And if he's not, then you're not a follower of Jesus. You're not. So we renounce self-will in order to live for God's will. You can't have both. You can't do what you want and Jesus what, what Jesus wants. You can't do that. You're going to have to choose. We renounce self-exaltation in order to exalt God. We renounce self-seeking in order to seek God and His kingdom first. We renounce self-centered life in order, in, on every level in order that we could be centered on Him. That's what it means to follow Christ. That's what it means. Uh, let me ask you a question, a, a searching question. So, so the person that witnessed to you, that told you about Christ, that served in your church as pastor or as a uh, a Sunday school teacher, as some kind of servant. Those people were not just Christians, were they? No, they were followers of Jesus. I would submit to you the world doesn't need another Christian. It needs followers of Christ. So you're a Christian, great. What does that do? It only benefits you. You're going to heaven because now you're a Christian, and that's awesome. It's far better than the other option. But followers of Christ make a difference here. Followers of Christ, people who say Jesus has got the right to tell me what to do, and they go and do it. It was a follower of Christ that witnessed to you. It was a follower of Christ that was faithful to teach you. I think of myself and my brother, uh, twin brother, with about 10 other little elementary school kids and this elderly, godly woman who went to heaven earlier because of her ministering to us. I'm certain of that because, man, I don't know faithful every single Sunday with a Sunday school lesson, faithful to care for us, faithful to speak truth into our lives, to show us an example. Faith, again, a follower of Christ, what kind of benefit was she getting? Were we paying her a bunch of money at the church there? No. She's committed to follow Christ. Who, who, who in their right mind would do something like that in their own will? Nobody. She's a follower of Christ. It's the surrendered life of the disciple that reaches the world, that transforms the world that goes the extra mile. It's the disciple that is faithful to teach and to encourage and to hold accountable and to serve in ministry. It's the disciple that gives up their incomes and their leisure time and their rights and their privileges in order to reach us. Disciples do that. Christians don't do that. It's a Christian who's become a follower of Christ 
that gets put in places like that and serves faithfully, I would submit to you. You can't make, Jesus says, go and make what? Go you therefore into all nations and make what? Followers, yeah, not Christians. Isn't that interesting? I thought we were supposed to turn them into Christians. Absolutely, they've got to be Christians first. You can't be you know, a follower of Jesus without accepting Jesus. But he's not satisfied at all with us just being Christians. You're, going to Christ, you're a Christian, great, you're going to heaven. What good are you to the earth? Followers make a difference. Disciples make a difference. Jesus deserves preeminence. Isn't he not preeminent? The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand? All things are in his hand, but he's not preeminent in your life? Something's not right. Something's not right. Not, he's not asking for prominence. So he's just one of, among the bigger things going on in your life. That is not following Jesus. Following Jesus is preeminence. Preeminence. He gets to be king. And like I said before, don't call him king and lord, and then do not do what he says. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you've called us into real life. You've not called us just to make some kind of adjustment. You're not coming for a makeover. We don't have, we don't bring anything to the table. Instead, you've called us into real life. You're the way and the truth and the life. So as we're joined to you, and not until then, do we have actual life. As we follow you, and not until then, are we actually living. Whatever we can make of ourselves, whatever our families, whatever the world can make of ourselves, it's not a life. But what you can make of us, what you can make of us if we decide in our hearts to say, I'm going to follow Jesus, that's real living. Thank you for bringing us that life, that abundant life, only comes from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.